Hello, and welcome to Help Me Understand, a new podcast from me, Steve Boots. It's a new podcast where we are going to talk to interesting people from diverse backgrounds and experiences, hear their stories and what they have to tell us. We're going to ask them, what can they help me and my audience better understand? Our first guest is going to be Matthew Cardinal. Matthew Cardinal is a COVID-19 survivor, among many other things, and went very public with his experience in the ICU with COVID-19. So uh, please join me in listening to Matthew Cardinal's story. Uh, just one quick note, there we did record in a coffee shop, so there is a little bit of background noise, so please bear with us, but I hope you enjoy Matthew's story and learn as much from him as I did. Well, welcome. Um, this is Matthew Cardinal. Uh, Matthew has a story to tell about his experience with COVID and a bunch of other stuff, and uh, we are very eager to hear from him. So welcome, Matthew. Hello. So you had experience to stay in the COVID uh, ICU. Can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like? It was literally hell. Um, leading up to the ICU, um, when I was admitted into the hospital on March 22nd of 2021, um, I was having a hard time breathing. My breaths were very short. Um, it sounded like I was having an asthma attack, even though I have, don't have asthma, I don't have history with that kind of stuff. Um, I woke up and it was almost like hiccups. Like I was, it was awful. So I remember calling 811 that day and I was number 170 in line or something like that. And I'm like, I can't wait this long. That's when the U well back then we we're calling it the UK variant, which is now Alpha. Mm -hmm. It was dubbed Alpha. That's when it hit. It was sweeping the city, and they didn't realize it was really hitting people hard in my age group until it was too late. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I so I got so I, I was admitted to the hospital that day. The ambulance came for me, and I remember sitting in the ambulance at the general hospital that was kind of like their makeshift waiting room to get into the hospital because the hospital was full was basically full then I was in there for a good hour maybe maybe even more they had different parts of the that garage and yeah, and yeah. paramedics are far away eventually they, they brought me in they took x-rays and yeah so what were you like feeling in that moment did you know you had COVID at that time or were you just sick I knew I had COVID at that time. Um, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, I was being transported to go for testing. And I got tested and I, I, I knew something was wrong. Like when going into the test center, they tested me and I barely even felt the, the test going in, like, you know, the swab. Okay. They were just like, but the nurse just said, okay, okay, we, we got your sample, go on your way. Like, you, you, you could just tell they were freaked out. Yeah, they, well, I, so would you say that was still at the phase where, like, fear levels were, like, really high and, like... At that point, I just felt extremely sick. Um, I didn't have my taste buds. The only thing, the only thing I could taste was just pure salt or something really sweet 
So, do you have your sense of taste mostly back now? Yeah, that completely came back. Um, yeah, that's good to hear. Coming into the hospital, which is good. Yeah. And everyone's different. Like, I, I couldn't imagine surviving without my oh, taste that, buds. That. So, how I unofficially found out I had COVID. Yeah. I ordered takeout food and I called the restaurant with a high fever complaining I can only taste salt and it tasted off and the woman got mad at me and said you should just get tested for COVID do you know how many calls we got and she hung up on me <laughs> and I just laid there in bed I accepted it <laughs> I kind of laughed myself to this day about that. So but but can you imagine how many phone calls they were getting oh, of people that were sick and they were complaining about the salt in the food because oh that's God. what that's that's how disoriented people you, I was. Can you share a little bit about what it was like in that moment when you figured out that you had it? Like what was going through your head? I was like, "Okay, I got it. I'm hoping I get better." Um there was nights when I was sick in bed, my bed sheets would be soaked with sweat. I would just have the chills. I, my whole entire body was a sore, joints, everything. I was getting progressively weaker and weaker. Um, I was masked up at home, trying to keep my mom safe. Um, she was keeping her distance, still trying to feed me, but at, at one point, I accused her of putting salt on my bagel. <laughs> Just because all you could taste was the salt? And, yeah. So, so your mom stayed with you and took care of you during the process? But the morning that I was going away, I didn't want her to see me. Um, it's okay, take your time. Being taken out with an ambulance. I, did, I was just scared of her to get sick, right? So... So when I was being taken away, she came into the living room and just the look on her face looked so scared. So that was, I didn't know if that would be the last time I'd ever see her again. I didn't know. I just felt like I was dying that day. Sorry. It's okay. Thank you for sharing. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I can't. Yeah, it's... And so... Getting into the hospital, like they were calling my mom constantly, making sure she's okay. If she gets any symptoms, like they bought her for two tests to make sure she's okay, right? So she never caught it, thank thankfully, thank God. She never caught it. But yeah, so anyways, leading up to the ICU, they kept changing my mass, like my oxygen. Originally I started off with oxygen like this the nose piece yeah. you know typical oxygen they put they upgraded my mask I think twice they had oxygen flowing like they had like the cup over my face you know and then they had I don't I don't know what they, you call that there was like a bag at the bottom there was like a little bag at the bottom of the mask okay. and that was leading up to the ICU that was the 24th and throughout those days leading up my vitals machines, I'm like, sorry, I'm not, I'm not scientific okay. at all or anything like that. Like, I don't know anything about these. It would constantly beep. And it was so hard to sleep with it beeping. 
and the beeps would get worse and worse and worse. The nurses would come in and see if I'm moving, you know, my oximeter patch on my finger. They'd switch fingers. They would, you know, check. Because cl- the readings they were getting were concerning them? The, and they never wanted to worry me. They would just tell me to keep fighting and, you know. So so finally, so finally leading up to that, so finally leading up to that, um, I called my church out of desperation on the 24th, and I asked for prayer. And then hours later, hours later, they explained to me they're going to move me to another room. So they did, to try to see if I can get some rest. Um, but they explained to me a doctor's going to come see me. Specialists are going to come into the room, and they said that they need to talk to you. So I'm like, okay, I'm hoping I will get better. Like, there's been a day or two where they're talking about even discharging me, sending me home. But no, it was just... Like I, I, it was. It sucked. It was almost like false hope. Were you uh, awake the whole time you were in the ICU, or like? No, um, no. Um, so finally, when they came in to get me, they explained to me. In ten minutes, we're taking you down to the ICU. We have to, we have to intubate you. We have to save your life. And I'm not sure what time of day it was because I was getting delirious and like I was so low on oxygen. Um, I tried making two phone calls no one answered <laughs> so I just put, posted a really sad Facebook status if I don't make it friends and family this is goodbye because I didn't know if I'd survive that I didn't know if they pulled a plug down the road you know I didn't have time to message everybody I just kind of took it for granted I would get better Leading, and I wouldn't need it, but no. I felt completely blindsided by it. What does it feel like looking back on that post now? It was still very... Sorry. I still mean that post with the bottom, with the bottom of my heart. With all my heart. That post still feels like it's relevant to this day. To this day, I'm still dealing with shortness of breath. Still dealing with health issues, right? But it was just a general shock. It was my way of getting to my friends and family. Take this virus seriously. So anyways, so anyways, when they brought me down to the intensive care unit at the general, they brought me to the MICU, the medical ICU, there was about eight people, maybe six or eight people, standing around my hospital bed. They explained to me that they're going to be giving me intubation. They asked me if I'm ready. They said um, they're going to do their best to try to save my life. I was shaking the whole entire time getting into the unit. But when they were finally standing around my, around my bed, I just said, please do whatever you can to save my life. I'm scared. They said, okay, so... Yeah, they gave me medications, they put medications in my arm, I had IVs and whatnot, and and then things started getting weird from there, the meds started kicking in, I felt them at one point, they 
had to use a flipboard, I don't know what, to move my body, transfer me to the ICU bed. As you were going through that process, were you able to, were you, were you able to sort of understand what was happening, or were you so sick at that point that it was sort of I was lucid. I was able to see what was going on. Were they able to communicate with you, or were you able to just sort of have to listen? I was just watching and listening. What was that like? It was really weird when you're on so much meds. Yeah. You don't really feel anything. You just feel your body moving around, and so 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 finally, when I'm slowly dozing off, they move me into the room, and there was a bunch of them walking around and working on me, and yeah, it was a long, drugged out trip, I would say. So <laughs> so then. All of a sudden, I remember waking up, and I didn't know what intubation was at that point. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I was intubated. Um, a nurse came into the room, said hello. I'm like I, I, I forget the nurses' names, but they but they would be talking to me and trying to get me to talk back to them. They would tell me. Squeeze my hands if you're feeling okay. Squeeze my hands, please. And you know, they feel my feet. Um, I would try to talk to them, and I just thought at that point I was just too drugged up to, to speak clearly. I would try to touch my face, and they'd say, No, you can't touch your face because some people try to rip the intubation out. Okay. And that's when I realized I had intubation. So were you, because I've heard of a lot of folks who get intubated being in medically induced comas. Is that what that is or was yes. that something different? Yes. So with medically induced comas, people don't realize they put you to sleep daily. So you wake up in that process. Yeah. So they, in, in another sense, they, they temporarily drug you. The anesthesiologist comes in and they drug you, right? Yeah. And then they wake you up. But when they're waking me up, they're checking to see if I had a stroke. Oh. So they're checking for, like, responsiveness and things? Yeah, they're checking for responsiveness and things. And if something happened, because COVID can cause blood clots in your system. And I had a blood clot in my, in my lung. Mm-hmm. And they caught it in time. And they put me on blood thinners. But they had to see if it moved around. Because when you're so bedridden and so weak, you can't. You're not moving around, and it causes clots. Was, so that's what they're generally checking for. And was there a moment in the process where you felt like you turned a corner, where you felt like things took a positive step, or did it just sort of? It was off? hell. It was hell throughout. I would say because I didn't know how long I was in there. Because those meds are really powerful. Yeah. Like. Um, after about five days, like, eventually I started waking up, I would realize, okay, I'm somewhere in a hospital. Like, I started getting just very little clarity of what's actually going on. I'm like, okay, I'm sick with COVID. Um, my sister and my family, or my brother and my sister and my dad were able to come visit me, but they only had five minutes each. Five minutes? Five minutes because you're, dealing, you're standing around COVID patients. They're not allowed to come in there and be with you unless they're pulling the plug. 
yeah, they only had five minutes to come say hi. Um, I had to basically play charades. I never seen my brother or my dad because I was in a coma. Yeah. That's where that awful picture of me in the ICU came from, my, my brother. <laughs> but that's the picture that people remember me by. <laughs> How do you feel about that? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> like, I, it's, I'm sure it's tough because it's like, it's certainly a difficult photo, but I think it opened a lot of people's eyes too. Yeah, um, I also took a picture of my x-ray coming into the hospital, and I promised the guy I would never share it, or I'm, I'm not even sure he realized I took the picture of the x-ray, because we're not supposed to. Yeah. So my mom shared those with the media, and my picture of me being in the, in the ICU, and that's where it kind of started with speaking to the media, but but we'll touch on that later. Yeah. But she just wanted to get people to understand the gravity of the situation so they wouldn't get sick. So when in that process did you start to, um, I don't want to say become more aware or, or come um, back around? I don't know what the they, right way to describe it is. They stopped giving me the medications as much because my lungs started to get a little bit better, I think. Okay. But the respiratory therapist came into the room and they said that we think you're going to be doing a we think you're doing a lot better but here's what's going to happen and don't quote me with this word for word please they explained that they're going to pull the intubation out squeeze my hand squeeze his hands if i consent to it but they said that there's a slight chance that this could go wrong and we can't just shove the intubation back and down your throat because you're going to be so inflamed they would have to give me a trek tube if it goes horribly wrong. I consented to it. Like, I know it's been days I've been in the ICU. It's just been hell. Like, the, seeing the amount of people coming and going, some of the deaths I witnessed, like... Was was the decision to go through with that a difficult one, or did you make it quite quick? I wanted to get out of there. Yeah. I wanted to get out of there. Um, is <laughs> ICU is hell, man. It's not a place you want to be in. And I just felt like I'd have a fighting chance getting out of there. Because so many thoughts go through your head, like, are these people trying to kill me at one point? Like, you, you, you're kind of angry that you're so out of power. You don't have power in there, like, you're, they have all the power to try to keep you alive. But at the same time, you have to get over your anger and realize they're there to help you, but you'd feel frustrated because they were so busy at the time and yeah miraculously in the ICU I was able to for some reason I had my cell phone in my hand and I was able to miraculously unlock it and I sent a tweet out to Dr. Susan Shaw on Twitter no way <laughs> and she, she well my friends well so you tweeted her from the ICU? Yeah. I tweeted her I tweeted her from the ICU. Um, my, my friends were saying, um, because I logged on to Facebook, about, this is about, I think, day five being in the ICU. I, I'll, I'll have to look at the, I'll, I'll have to look at it. But it took me a long time to unlock my phone because my face is so ravaged from the medications and whatnot, from COVID. But I was able to finally unlock my phone and log into Facebook and 
I wrote I'm Alive. But it took it took several tries to write that, right? And I would post it anyway. But if I, if I finally wrote I'm Alive, then my friends were just messaging me, oh my god, Matthew, we've been so worried about you. And I was, my phone was just blowing up at this point because people were worried, right? And then my friend said, oh my god, like, you're all over the news. And I'm like, I had no idea. I'm like, what? I'm like, I don't, I, I can't comprehend this. People were trying to Facebook call me. I was trying to talk to them, but I had all this intubation in my, oh my mouth still. But yeah, no, I was able to, I was able to tweet, I'm alive, Dr. Shaw, because I logged onto Twitter and she she posted a Facebook, or she, po- she, she posted my mom's story. My mom, people begging to take COVID seriously, this mom is sharing her concerns. And so I commented on there, I'm alive, Dr. Shaw, and that kind of blew up on there too. Everyone's like, what the heck? This guy's still in the ICU. <laughs> so later that day, they pulled the intubation out. And when they're pulling the intubation out of you, okay, think of the movie Matrix when Neo is being unplugged from the Matrix. Okay, yeah, yeah. So they explained to me, we're going to pull all this out. It's, it's going to be ugly, but please try not to puke. Please try not just... And then we have to put the oxygen around your nose right afterwards. You have to breathe in through your nose and out your mouth. It's very clear you do that, they said. And we have to watch your oxygen. And if your oxygen starts slipping, we have to give you a trek tube. So, yeah. I can't so when they're tense that must have been. So when, when they're pulling all those things out of Neil's mouth, when he's being unplugged from the Matrix, when he gets saved, yeah. oh my god, that's kind of what it, that's kind of what it is. Like I'm sorry if that's dramatic, no. but that kind of gives you an idea, an idea what it is. So because the intubation goes right into your lungs. Yeah. It's also feeding tubes that goes into your stomach and all that stuff too. And the whole thing comes out at once. At once. Oh my god. So that's so, so that's basically what that is. So can you tell me about what the experience was in that moment? Like the the intubation all comes out and you're sitting there waiting to see what happens. Can you tell me a little bit about that moment? You're basically gambling your life at that moment. They're taking a chance, pulling it out. You know the chances. They explain it to you, what this consequence if it does fail, if it does fall back. But they're pretty confident that I'd be okay. So when they, they pull it all out and they're breathing, breathing it through my nose and out my mouth, I was doing okay. They were in there for a good 10 minutes watching. They're like, oh. And the guy finally got up and gave me a thumbs up. He says, you're doing okay. So remember, breathe in through your nose and out your mouth. That's very clear, he says. Like... You need that oxygen, he says, and it, it, he's like, he's, he's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, you're gonna make it. You're, you're, you're gonna make it. So I did, but it was kind of bittersweet because people don't realize the next three days or four days after that are literally hell as well because you cannot really sleep with high flow, octiflow oxygen blowing in your face. So, when they moved me out of the ICU, I heard a little bit of cheers and claps. So, they literally saved my life, but leading me to the COVID ward. The recovery process is literally hell. You have no mobility, basically, from laying in bed so long. You lose your muscles. Like, yes, I was only in there for six days, but I couldn't walk anymore. So like, you lost that much strength in those six days? No, yeah, I... How long was it before you were able to I, even just walk around after that? Oh my god, okay, so... 
my first two steps out of bed when they were able to walk me was Easter Sunday. <laughs> you went Very St. Patrick's? I went I went I no I went on the 22nd. But like I was begging the nurses because I wanted my dignity back. I didn't want to wear adult like diapers, like adult depends. I wanted a commode and that's those mini toilets in the room. And they explained to me that you have a catheter, you have all these oxygen tubes, it's going to be very hard to. Each time they explained to you, you are still in infectious phase because, yes, you're not in, if you don't need the ICU, your infectious phase is smaller, according to the SHA. Okay. But since you go to the ICU, they extend the infectious phase past that past whatever 14 days or something like that so if you're in the icu you're still treated as infectious regardless of where you fit in the timeline yeah interesting what yeah i think that is i don't know i'm not a doctor but if, if you want to talk to other doctors oh, I will. but 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 they were trying to figure out when i was confirmed of having covid yeah when i was admitted and the nurses thought some of them were kind of arguing with each other and they were kind of like debating oh well he shouldn't be infectious anymore so we should be okay they're like no because he had ICU stay, it's going to be longer. And so they had to figure that out, and they had to get doctor approval, and they finally cleared me, I think, April 7th, of not being infectious. The nurses were able to not wear so much gear coming into my room. They were able to just come in and, you know, with a mask, of course, but they didn't But they needed the heavy gear to come in. Uh, like, I basically call them half hazmat suits. <laughs> but, 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 lead, but leading up to that, I remember them telling me one night, they said, okay, it's going to be really hard, they said. They explained it's going to be really hard for you to be walking to your commode. So we'll make a compromise. If we can take your catheter out, we'll get you your commode and you can, we'll help walk you to your commode and you can start using the bathroom there. And I agreed. So that's what I did. Pulling the, first steps. pulling the catheter was hell, so it, it took two nurses to hold me up to walk my first two steps, but it was liberating. Yeah. I was able to actually sit down and use the bathroom again. So of course I had to buzz them to come in and finish up and then go. Yeah. So finally, um, those few days of recovery, oxygen was coming down slowly like they're able to lower the oxygen they changed it from high flow to just nose nose piece like you know like when, like when i first entered the hospital um against the doctor and nurse's orders i started getting up and going to the couch myself and they hated that they hated that so much because at any time I could have fell, but I had the mentality, but did I die? No. I'm like, I buzzed because I understand they were busy, but I just felt that if I get up, try to do my physio myself, as you, as YouTubing videos, like how to exercise in a hospital bed to try to build my strength back, I was doing that to try to get better. Um, the hell's that exercise called where you're still laying in your stomach proning? I was doing that. That hurt. Why did it hurt? Just because of the pressure? Yeah, but it's supposed to feel better because your lungs are also on your back as well. Okay. And it's supposed to relieve your lungs when you're laying on your stomach. And it helps with COVID patients. 
and they were talking about that. So with that, um, so, so finally I was able to start walking very slowly. I would have my cell phone in my hand and I'd have the emergency bell in my hand too. So I would tell the nurses, hey, guess what I have? I have my emergency bell, I also have my cell phone. If I need you, I'll call the hospital, I'll call 911. <laughs> if I fall, and they're like, so finally, yeah. Um, by the end of that weekend, because the hospital staff were done on Easter Monday, so Tuesday, that's when my doctor came in, and he was came, he was he was in the hallway, and he's talking to the nurses, and he, he peeks into my room. He's like, um, did anyone help him to the couch over there? No, he's been walking by himself to go sit over there, and the doctor's like, and. When was when was he in the ICU? Like he's going through my chart. Like what? And he's like, so the doctor has to gown up and whatnot. And at this point, that's when I started talking to the media. Like I talked to Zach Vissera. Okay. That was like one of my first ones. I talked to Global. I talked. I think I talked to CBC as well. So, did you approach the media, or did the media approach you? The media approached me because okay. In 2019, I kind of had an antisocial phase. I deleted a lot of my social media, and the only one I forgot to delete was Twitter. Okay. So I only had one picture on my Facebook because I was very like, I don't want Facebook owning my stuff. Because that year, they said, we're owning your, we're owning our stuff for, like, I, I know I sound a little paranoid, but yeah. that, that's what they said. At this cutoff date, because they're getting their photo recognition ready, right? Yeah. So their, their right stuff got all weird there. Yeah. So yeah. I deleted all. I deleted everything. Okay. I deleted everything for nine months, and and I just downloaded Facebook again, and I only had one picture on there for a few months. So media didn't have any good pictures of me. My mom was, she didn't have really good pictures of me either. She had pictures from like two thousand nine. Um, me and my friends take the worst pictures of each other, <laughs> like superimposed alcohol in the background, sweaty, <laughs> like just the worst pictures. And they're like, we can't use these pictures for the media. <laughs> and she's like, oh my god. So yeah, that's what that was. What that was just it. So the only social media I forgot to delete was Twitter. And so it's kind of funny though because there's been some conspiracy theorists that think I'm completely fake because they thought <laughs> how convenient is this guy his face his social media start on 2019 when the virus started like so yeah it, it just fed to that i mean we can <laughs> say proof positive matt is indeed real but a lot of people a lot, a lot of people especially from ontario they were finding me on facebook and they're like okay it's a really good story but like how come there's nothing of you before 2019 and i'm like oh my god i'm like these people are really doubting they're like he's just a lot of people probably thought I was a robot at this point or an AI robot or something I can't imagine what it's like but, to come forward with your story and then have somebody be like you're not real for real <laughs> and I'm like and I'm like yes I'm being paid by these governments I'm like I'm like where's this money then I'm like I want the money then oh. <laughs> but but so, so 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 anyways so anyways the doctor when he realized I was doing really good and getting up out of my hospital bed he ordered physio to come in and he ordered me physio and and he says you're doing amazing like I'm just shocked like this is good um, we're gonna try to get you out of here soon because I explained to him I want to get out of here before Easter wave comes because I was I knew people were gathering during Easter 
and I knew it was going to be bad. So I just didn't want to be in the hospital. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about your experience with like rehab and with your recovery from, from COVID after you left well, the hospital? Well, I never really had official rehab. Mm-hmm. None of it has been really official. Um, the hospital discharged me on April 9th. They sent me home with a walker. Mm-hmm. With a, a walker. They sent me home with an oxygen concentrator. They gave me a few equipment so I can install them into my bathtub. They gave me a little seat for the bathtub. And they basically sent me home with a few workouts and to do so I, I can stretch in my bed and try to get better. And I would text a few friends because at this point people were not supposed to be gathering. But I would tell them if we do it socially distance, I just want someone to walk with me. So I started walking around the block with my walker and I would have my oxygen in my bag and my friends would start walk with me outside but we'd be socially distanced six feet away and it was still very cold there was still ice on the ground but it was slowly getting better right um the day I didn't the, the day I found out I didn't need oxygen anymore was one night I forgot to turn it on before I went to bed that's one way to find out <laughs> and I woke up and I was alive and I checked my oximeter and my oxygen was at 95 and my heart rate was okay and I'm like oh I did that by accident I didn't need oxygen and so I just left it off I never went to sleep with it ever again I would use the oxygen once in a little while if I felt a little bit short of breath but I, I think I weaned myself off so I sent my oxygen home three weeks after the hospital I called the oxygen company said please take it because I need I know someone else is going to need this oxygen mm-hmm. um, but but they advised me to hold on to it for at least for, for at least another two weeks mm-hmm. um, I was talking to my doctor at the time and he told me you're doing amazing if you feel you don't need it just have it have the oxygen company call me have it nearby in case I'm like okay well if it makes you feel better I'll do that and I asked him, I was like, so when do you think I'll be able to walk around with Scanna and do normal things? And he says, well, I don't, he's like, he's like, I think it's going to be a long time. He says, like, you're, it's going to be a long time. He's like, don't push yourself. You could start looking towards the ending of summer, you know, just take it easy. And I'm like, no, I'm like, I told him no. I says, I am not about that lifestyle. I'm not going to let this break me. I want to have. I want to try to have a normal summer. I just survived this horrible thing and I'm going to get better. So that night, I posted on Twitter, I'm going to attempt to walk around with Scanna. And my friends were so against it. I said, okay, you guys can come along. If something happens, I'll have my cell phone, I have my oxygen on me, my duffel bag, if I need. I don't care how long it takes me, I said, I'm going to walk around with Scanna tonight. And people are just like, you're losing your mind. So I was documenting every quarter way around the park, documenting myself, taking a picture. And yeah, it took me about three hours, just over three hours. And I finally did a lap around the lake. I was crying happiness tears that night. Went home, checked my oxygen again, and I was fine. And I was getting my mobility back. It felt amazing. 
I felt like I accomplished walking, climbing Mount Everest or something like that. And this was last summer? No, this was, no, this was, this was in April still. Okay. So, I have a funny thing to tell. Well, it's not so funny. Um, so the next, so the next day, um, I was sort of reported dead on media what? the next day, but it was how it was edited by the media company and what was said in the legislature. But people thought I was dead at six, on six o'clock news. No, because there were because it was the day. It was a national day of workers who got gravely sick on the job or died, and they were list they were listing off people that were gravely sick, and I was a third person listed off, but they they also announced people da- dying too, so I was a third person on the list, and they cut it off after my name, and so people thought it was a dead list, and people started calling me, and people were like, oh my god, this guy just walked the lake, he gave himself a heart attack, what a horrible way to go, like, he just accomplished so much, so people, so people were, like, messaging me, and I'm like, I'm alive, what's going on, it's Wednesday, and they're like, they just, they just declared you dead, and I'm like, no, <laughs> so I had to say I'm alive again, <laughs> but people were so, like, they're like, oh my god, you're alive? I'm like, yeah. So they're like, what the hell? Like, so during this process, you had to prove that you were alive and real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like it was a sort of funny, but like I won't name names how this all happened. But like <laughs> I was like, oh my god. I'm like now they're. So so some people were actually believed it, that I died. I'm like no. I said I'm doing okay. I said I took a selfie and took a picture. I'm alive, folks. Like. I'm so, still trucking. <laughs> so what's your what's your journey been like since then? So that's April. You're back up on your feet. I was started walking around the lake more. I didn't need my oxygen. I was taking it easy, walking slowly. I did that every single day. Um, so finally, when restaurants were reopening, my work asked me, "When do you think you'd be wanting to come back?" They they they, they were assuming I'd be starting later in the summer. Like, you know, because they knew that I had it so rough. And I said, no. And I said, put me on the first day. And they were like, you are losing your damn... They're like, are you sure? I'm like, yes. I said, like... So they only gave me, like, three shifts a week, three hours a day yeah. to kind of get into the swing of things. I had to retrain myself how to hold plates again and, you know. And, and a lot of my customers were in shock. They were like, oh, my God, Matthew. Like, you were just in the ICU, like less than two months ago like what are you doing here (laughs) and i said my doctor wants me walking around and i have the perfect job for it i said so the next day um when i went to my doctor appointment he's like so how are you doing and he was checking me right checking vitals and whatnot he says okay so i think you should start work in like a little while i'm like actually i started work yesterday and he's like (laughs) he literally just like he's like he's like tell me you're kidding i'm like no i said like i'm actually working today too so can we get this hurrying up and he's like matthew like i'm like you want me walking around i'm walking around i said i'm being careful i'm not staying for eight hours i'm only doing three hour shifts i knew you'd be against this i said but i cannot live off ei i need to do this he's like okay just be careful i'm like i am i'm washing my hands i'm careful I said, I got this, I said. And he was like, oh my god, like, you're crazy. But everyone thought I was crazy, but no. I proved them all wrong. I, so, said, I, said, I said, I can't let 
I can't let COVID win. I can't let it break me. Is that is that what is part of what you got out of it? Was that feeling like that you were able to reclaim something? Yeah. As you know, going from thinking I'm going to be dying to surviving and being able to work again and walk around, I was very fortunate. But humbling at the same time. Like, I have to think, there's a lot of people that never made it. A lot of people that are still struggling worse than I did. Like, I have a really good friend, his name is Jared. He was in the ICU when I was, and he was in the ICU for 40 days. He's still struggling to do everything, man. Like, my heart goes out to him, like, yeah he he was a mechanic like well you know okay he, he's alive still yeah. not was but like he's alive still he's from indian head yeah he had to sell his house he's living in regina now and going to rehab like it's just it's crazy it's, and i think that's something that's getting missed when people talk about covid survivors is that lots of them are suffering from economic impacts from all of this too where yeah they've lost income they've lost lots of things yeah oh like, yeah and there's very little supports for us. There's, especially in Saskatchewan. Um, how I started my COVID rehab, which is not official, the University of Regina reached out to me um, and they asked me if I want to participate in research with them. And they were researching the heart, how COVID affects the heart. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And then one of the doctors there said, hey, we have a cardiac and chronic disease program called Love to Live and they said we are not sure if they're accepting COVID patients yet but we'll, we'll talk to them mm-hmm. so I was our patient zero with that so it's a it's a monitor gym one hour a day three days a week and it's a general gym so a bunch of people go there but there's a doctor that monitors like you need a doctor referral for there Yeah. and yeah because I felt like if I go to a normal gym if I croak like some 17 year old working behind the desk is gonna be like oh my god this guy croaked flipping through a manual oh my god what do I do call head office first no call 911 you know (laughs) yeah but this but but this place they're trained to resuscitate you they have two hospital beds there Mm. something happens they have defibrillators they're trained to to keep you alive until the uh, ambulance comes and takes you away. And so you're finding that that just gives you a lot of sense of security when you're doing it? Yes. And I hate to be a worry word about it, but that's exactly what I did. So I got a doctor referral. My doctor was thrilled about it, that they reached out. And he says, yeah, by all means, fill, fill out this form. And so I went there. I, I'm I'm done it this Friday. Sorry. You're done it this Friday? That's yeah, so, so, so this Friday coming up, I'm done it because... I'm confident I do not need medically supervised workouts. I was about to ask, is this something that you're looking forward to or something that you're maybe reluctant about? I'm excited for it because um, part of the research, what I'm doing with them is I wear a little, it's kind of like an ECG or whatever, and I wear it in the morning after workouts and it checks up my heart Mm -hmm. and then the scientists, they get a hold of me and they tell me what my heart's doing. So it's kind of not going to a cardiologist. Like, they're able to tell me what's going on with my heart. And they said, no, your heart appears to be okay. And I'm like, awesome. So I'm not taking that as totally my medical advice. But my doctor also thinks that my heart, it didn't affect my heart as much, which is amazing. In your recovery, what is the next step? What's, what's next for you 
as you recover and heal from your time with COVID? Well, one of my funny things is last March, I had plans to buy a bike before I even got sick. And I was going to ride the bike around and just go around the city and, you know, just because with lockdowns, I, w I just wanted to go around and do things. But then I got horribly sick. But in the months after that, I was advised not to get a bike because my doctor thought I would need a supervision in case I had medical distress somewhere yeah. and I'd be far away from people. But now I feel confident that I'm actually able to go out and do workouts outside and go explore without having medical distress. So I'm so have to go for a bike ride this summer. Yeah, exactly. So I'm planning on finally getting a bike and just go around the city and take nice, beautiful pictures and. That's fantastic. Yeah, but 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 yeah, but yeah. So the path forward, I just want to enjoy life, still be cautious, but enjoy life going forward. Like I, I've reached out to a lot of people that I've lost touch with over the years. They've gotten in touch with me. I just feel like I need to. I'm reconnecting with people that this pandemic has separated me from. Like, I'm not saying I'm affiliated with, like, the truckers and calling that yeah. unity. My unity is making peace with people and living prosperous and being happy. And this virus has caused me, a lot of people, social anxieties to even go out and meet people in real life without getting tested or whatever. But with things lifting up, like, yes, the path forward is kind of weary. But for me personally, you get one life, I'm living my life. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a good message, and thank you for sharing it. Yeah. Um, we had had plans. We During our pre-show pre chat, we had made plans to talk about your experience as uh, an openly gay Cree man and yeah. your experience growing up in Saddle Lake and your experiences with prejudice and many other things okay um and so i've never grew up in saddle lake <laughs> oh sorry but i i am from saddle lake so. sorry your experience being from saddle lake. yeah thank you <laughs> you're welcome um, and i want to make sure that we give that enough space to you know be be explored fully and so um if you'd be willing to come on for a second episode at some point absolutely could, thank you so much um, is there anybody or any cause, any movement, any point of view that you would like to give a shout out to right now? I would like to give a shout out to two, two places, like two things. One is a Love to Live program at the University of Regina. They have given me confidence to work out, to feel better, and re rebuild my stamina. If it wasn't for that place, I wouldn't be able to feel confident getting on a bike and doing anything. So that's the main one I want to shout out. Second one, to all the nurses and healthcare workers who worked answering those calls at 811, thank you all. It's been a very tough time, especially with all the COVID calls getting flooded in with anything. You guys have been amazing. So thank you all for answering those phones and being there 24 hours a day. It's not easy, I'm assuming. But yeah. Thank you so much for that. And one last thing, we want to shout out uh, Bam Jar, who has uh, been gracious enough to host us today. 
uh, fantastic cup of coffee, uh, and I've got a gigantic cookie I'm looking forward to taking home. So yeah. uh, thank you to them as well, and thank you so much for joining me, man. I really, really appreciate this. Thank you for telling your story. You're welcome, Steve. And I appreciate you. Uh, our audience appreciates you. So yeah. thanks for doing this. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah.